0: Any hunt, any range. Go beyond what you ever thought possible with new Federal Premium Terminal Ascent. Its bonded construction penetrates deep on close targets while the exclusive slipstream polymer tip helps flatten trajectories and initiate lower velocity expansion at longer ranges. Terminal Ascent gives you match grade, long range accuracy and a bonded hunting bullet. There is no better hunting bullet on the market today and it's available in a full selection of long range hunting cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, 280 Ackley Improved, 28 Nosler, 7mm Remington Mag, 30-06, and 300 Win Mag. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald, and this is episode number 89. Today we are finishing up our conversation with Bobby Worthington, who you guys have grown to love and admire. I know I have, and we're talking about step three to being successful hunting the most mature buck in your area and that is persistence stay tuned this is the southern ground hunting podcast Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. This is going to be the last conversation with Bobby Worthington in this series. I'm definitely not going to say it's going to be my last conversation with Bobby because uh, that guy is a wealth of knowledge. I'm going to, selfishly, I'm going to be using him to uh, to help me kill some big bucks here in the near future. Uh, I'm going to be bouncing ideas off this guy for sure, but I know each of you have enjoyed um this this conversation part one which was talking about hunting the rut part two which talked about stand placement and then part three which we're going to get into today um talking about persistence which is the third and final um key of success that bobby uh is going to share with us so i think you guys are going to enjoy this i want to tell you about something really exciting and that is we are giving away a tethered phantom in this episode so there's nothing you can do at this point we're done. The co- the competition is done. I've already drawn a name for the Tethered Phantom Saddle. And I'm going to tell you guys all about it uh, at the end of this podcast. So y'all make sure to uh, to stick around. It's going to be a good conversation with Bobby. Um, other than that, I want to tell you guys to use the code Southern Ground at checkout. If you go to screegear.com, that'll save you 10% off your order with Scree. They got a bunch of really cool early season stuff that has come out last week and it should be at my house shortly. I'm pretty excited about it. I ordered some, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, But just check out screegear.com if you have any questions about it, anything like that. Of course, you can check them out on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, but reach out. Feel free to reach out to me on the Southern Ground Hunting Instagram or Facebook page. It's at Southern Ground Hunting on both of those. And uh, if you have any questions about scree, feel free to reach out, and I will uh, do my best to answer them. uh, I've, I've pretty well got just about everything that a whitetail hunter would want at this point of scree. And so I kind of have a little bit of knowledge about all of it and I love it. Um, I'm super excited again about using it this season. Uh, so if you have any questions, feel, feel free to reach out to me. That's on uh, uh, Instagram and on Facebook at Southern Ground Hunting. You'll find it there. Um, check out tetherednation.com. They have sponsored this giveaway with the, te- with the Phantom Saddle. And we are super grateful to them. They're, man... I'm actually tomorrow leaving for the Nashville Teach and Train event, but also we're doing one in Alabama. Uh, that is next weekend on August the 15th. So if you listen to this when it comes out tomorrow, uh, as I'm recording it on Thursday, it comes out tomorrow on Friday for me. And so uh, make sure you check out the, uh, on the on Facebook. There's a Teach and Train event for Birmingham that's actually going to be in Coleman. Uh, the World Deer Expo was canceled, so uh, I talked to Greg. I was like, hey, dude, we'll host one if, if you want to do one still here in Alabama. And he said, absolutely. So we're going to have everything from Tethered will be there, uh, pretty much everything that they make. And that includes the new Excel platform. So if you haven't checked that out, uh, it's going to be a good opportunity. It is free, but you do need to register so we know how much food to get. Lunch will be provided. Uh, we're going to have some uh, just really cool uh Archery range set up demo trees where you can shoot. You can actually shoot your bow from a demo saddle on a 3d target Which will be pretty freaking cool. I'm excited about that and uh, It's going to be at the Coleman archery range in Coleman, Alabama And uh, it's super easy to get to right between Huntsville and Birmingham Uh, You'll take the Dodge City exit. I know I'm getting really specific But if any of you guys plan to come uh, you take the Dodge City exit and you'll go uh, just a few miles and you will see a golf course and it'll be right across the road from the golf course. You can type it in obviously on your GPS Coleman archery range and you'll find it there. But the address is on the Facebook event page. Uh, so just go to teach and train. You can go to the Southern ground Facebook page and you can find it there too. I'll I'll be, I'll have posted it, uh, tomorrow so everybody can see that. But yeah, that's about it guys. I'm really, really pumped up about this episode with Bobby Worthington. So let's get into it. All right everybody, on the line now we have the one and only Mr. Bobby Worthington for part 3 of uh, it's actually let's see. It, I think it's part 6 of the Local Legends and maybe part 7 of the Local Legend series, but part 3 of the Bobby Worthington series within the Local Legend series. So we're really excited about this. Unfortunately, Drew could not be here. So Bobby, it's just going to be me and you today, but how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great. I'm doing great
0: uh that's that's great man i I know I have received nothing but good feedback from the last two episodes, and they're so it's so information rich that most people are telling me that they are listening to it multiple times just to make sure they get everything and i'm i'm it's actually worked out well doing this in parts so that people can kind of absorb it and and understand what they're hearing and listen to it more than once that way we can go into it right now and talk about this. The last key to success that you've talked about, and uh, and that is, I believe, stand play or not stand placement, but persistence. Is that right?
1: It is. Uh, it's the amount of time we spend in the woods hunting, and I wanted to discuss some points about that.
0: Well, perfect, man. Well, I am going to back out of the way, and I'm going to let you take it away again. In three, two, one, you are good to go.
1: Okay, thank you, Park. I appreciate I appreciate all the good comments from your listeners, and uh, appreciate the opportunity and the platform to reveal what I what I've learned through many years and and much much effort in the woods. First, I wanted to say I, I realize that some hunters may challenge what I'm saying by pointing to things they sometimes have seen take place in the deer woods that may differ from the observations i've put out here Parker. Yes.
0: Yeah. therefore
1: i feel a need to to back up and say what i am revealing here in this podcast is an average it is what i believe takes place most often however i have learned over the years that there are two words that we should never use when speaking on whitetail and these two words are never and always. There are just too many different situations that can happen in the woods to alter the norm, to use these two words. Plus, when dealing with whitetail, we're dealing with distinct and individual personalities. Therefore, there will be variations from what is normal. Just to understand that the information I am putting forth is what will take place most often. Going into this, I may have assumed too much uh, to think that everyone would understand this basic fact, and that's why I wanted to mention it. And I also want to apologize for the recognition I may be receiving, just in case this podcast is taking acknowledgment away from those who have received acclaim on social media for their deer hunting prowess. I don't need or desire any of their praise. I have long ago become secure and confident in what I know. Through much time and effort, I understand hunting mature bucks. There is no longer any mystery there for me, Parker. What I'm saying is, I know, and I'm not saying that I know everything there is to know about this subject, but what I am saying is, I know everything I need to know about what is important in in this endeavor. The the more you understand about a subject, the simpler it becomes, and it has really become simple to me uh, through much many years of trial and effort. When you strip it down and remove all the cosmetic modifiers, the basis that I am revealing is all that really matters. Now, I will say that some things I call cosmetic modifiers, but say such as making mock scrapes, or the use of trail cameras and such, can all be used effectively and to increase our odds somewhat when used within my three basic points once they have been implemented. Having said that, I would like to back up and quickly review what I talked about in Part 1 and 2. I won't take a lot of time here, but I began this podcast by saying that the number one problem I see in most undertakings is that the student does not understand what is important and what is not. In deer hunting and many other undertakings, this is partly due to the commercialization of our sport and also because of the rehashing of information that is passed around by people who have not really invested the time and effort to know what is important and what is not. Many hunters simply do not know enough to know what they don't know about bow hunting trophy whitetail. Because of these two and other reasons, the key ingredient that is missing to advancement is correct knowledge. Now, it's been my observation that most people are just too invested in protecting their own ego to learn from others. This is a huge mistake. Everyone you meet in life knows something that you do not. And if you engage everyone you meet and are willing to learn, you might acquire that knowledge they have. Once you have correct knowledge, you must be willing to use the time and effort required to develop that knowledge and the skill. Now we talked about that too. As I have pointed out through the last two parts of this podcast. The knowledge I consider important in trophy hunting, uh, bow hunting trophy bucks or mature bucks can be summed up in three basic points. That's hunting mature bucks during the rut, stand placement, and persistence. I realize there is a lot we can learn about whitetail deer. I have spent much of my life studying the makeup and complexities of these amazing creatures. I believe this is a worthwhile endeavor for all whitetail hunters and whitetail students. The more we understand about the whitetail deer, the more we will respect and appreciate them. However, to effectively hunt them The most important thing we can know is when and how they move about the woods. By having this knowledge and correctly implementing it, we can be in a position where our intended target will walk by us within range of our weapon. This is the first and essential requirement for us to be successful in bow hunting trophy whitetail. Back in part one, I discussed that the most effective time to hunt pressured whitetail is a 25-day period of time I call the rut movement period. And I guess uh, you you remember that, Parker?
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
1: It was a period that you know varies according to where you hunt. And in part two, I discussed in some detail how important it is to place our tree stands in restrictions that force cruising bucks by them and I elaborate a little bit on how to find such funnels. Of course a lot of people can get creative and the more time you spend in the woods, the quicker you can learn how to find funnels. Uh, it's, it's, it's like any other endeavor. Now I, now I want to discuss persistence which in the context of this podcast is the amount of time a person spends hunting. I will again say that any one of these three techniques of hunting taken independently will give a person a better chance of success than he would otherwise have. However, considering the uncertainty of events that might take place out of the norm in the deer woods and the individual personality of Whitetail, all three of these points really must be put in place to increase our odds significantly. And I hope my readers understand that that this is the case. They do need to try to put all three in place. As I began to discuss persistence, allow me to say that nothing means as much as does time spent in the woods hunting. However, if you do not concentrate your efforts during the rut in the right location, it may do little good, no matter how much time you spend in the woods. Years ago I was a deer hunting, of course in Illinois during, during the rut, and I remember having a conversation with a couple of gentlemen outside a supermarket, and it was during November, At this time, I was writing regularly for several national publications, so the guys, they recognized me, and we struck up a conversation. If I remember correctly, they were from Alabama, and they had booked a rut hunt with a local outfitter. These two bow hunters told me that they were seeing a lot of deer each day, but they had not yet gotten a shot, and their two-week hunt was coming to an end and I could tell they were really disappointed that they were blue collar workers and they had saved up for quite some time for this hunt. So I asked them if they were putting in a lot of times in their stand and they said they had hunted all day on most days. Well then I next inquired about their stand location. I asked them how many deer they were averaging seeing during the day. The hunters had both been seeing a good amount of deer, I think they said they were seeing between 20 and 30 deer a day, which is a goodly number. I'll be honest with you, Parker, I have hunted in a, some locations in the Midwest and, and seen up to hundred deer on, on different days if my funnel <laughs> was, if my tree was high enough, you know, in a, in a funnel that yeah. I could see a lot, distance, which a lot of times is not the case. But anyway, my next question was, How many of the deer that they were seeing could they have shot? And both of these guys' answers were about the same. Out of the 20 to 30 deer a day they were seeing, only four or five were coming within bow range of their stand. Now, this told me two things. One, it told me they were not hunting in a good funnel. And two, It told me that their chances were extremely remote of killing a mature buck if one did cruise through the woods in the area of their stand. You see most of the time because of the characteristics of a good funnel, visitation is limited. If a bow hunter is set up in a good funnel, then at least 50 or 60% of the deer he will be seeing will pass within bow range. I'll tell you the truth, many times when I'm hunting a tight funnel, as many as 90 or 100%, every deer I see will end up within range of my bow. Even though these young men had put in considerable time hunting, they had not taken a trophy buck, and I knew that their chances of doing so was extremely remote because of their stand placement. Uh, after the first, be honest with you. After the first three or four days of their hunt, if they had had the same conversation with me and still had two weeks to go, I'd have told them. I, I wouldn't. I didn't tell them what I knew, but I, I could have. I could have told them. You guys are not going to, probably not going to shoot a trophy, and, and that would have been exactly the case. Now I'll tell you, if I was their outfitter with this information. I would have asked them one additional question. I would have wanted to know if there was any one location they could be at where many of the deer they were seeing would have passed within range of them. If this was the case, then I would have quickly relocated their stands. You see, sometimes when it comes to stand placement, uh, we just, a person just don't get it right to begin with, especially a novelist. He just won't get it right the first time, but when personal observation from the stand reveals this, we should not hesitate to relocate our stands. Now the reason I wanted to relate this story is so you will realize that persistence, when taken alone, may not put the odds in your favor enough to put a mature buck within bow range of your stand. As would not any, really not any, of the other three avenues I'm talking about when taken alone. If a person hunts the rut from a randomly picked tree, then he is betting purely on luck. If a person hunts in the best funnel in the woods, in a pressured area, weeks before rut movement begins, then his chances of killing a mature buck is extremely low also. If a person is hunting during the rut at, the right, at a location, let's say, that moves the majority of the deer coming through the area within bow range of him, but only hunts one day every three weeks, he is again betting purely on luck. However, once we are hunting during the rut, in a tight location, nothing means as much as does hunting time. That's what I want to try to impress on you and your listeners here today, Parker. So the third major reason I believe that most hunters fail to harvest mature bugs is their lack of persistence. Most hunters simply do not spend enough time in the deer woods hunting to give themselves a reasonable chance of success. When fishing, it's all about the number of casts we make. Actually, it's really about the amount of time our lure is in the water. When trapping, what matters most is the number of traps the trapper has set out. When hunting, it's all about the amount of time spent in a stand that makes the difference. This overrides everything else. The time a hunter spent, the time a hunter spent in a tree stand, has a direct correlation with the number of opportunities he will have to arrow a trophy. It's all just simple second grade arithmetic. I wasn't very good in school, but now I can cipher second grade arithmetic, and anybody (laughs) that can will understand this, and I'm fixing to try to point it out a little later here. Let's just take a, a systematic look at how the amount of time we spend hunting will increase our odds of shooting a trophy buck. And by doing so, this may help a lot of my listeners uh, be more dedicated to time in the woods. Let's again take uh, some notebook paper and use it to help us see this point better as we did when we was talking about stand play. in In this scenario, let's say we are hunting a good funnel during the rut movement period because we have already discovered these two things increase the odds significantly that a mature buck will walk by our stands. Okay, during the 25 days of rut movement let's consider there are around 12 hours of hunting light per day. This equals to about 300 hours of legal hunting time. During these 300 hours of daylight let's assume that six material bucks were pass through our hunting property. Okay, this scenario can be reflected and visualized by my readers by taking a piece of notebook paper and drawing lines on it. As in part two, let's turn the sheet of notebook paper horizontally and then let's draw a dark line halfway up through it to represent a restriction such as a ditch funnel. Now let's take an ink pen and draw three lines across the top of the paper, spaced randomly, and let's draw three lines, say, that end up midway down or lower. When these lower lines intersect the dark line, we will have to draw them up and around the top of the dark line, which, as we said, represents a restriction. These six ink pen lines represents the movements of mature bucks across our hunting property. Because of the restriction, three of those bucks will move within range of our stand if we are set up correctly, as I've discussed quite a bit the, during the last podcast. Now let's say instead of... Uh, okay, let's take a look at this paper and, and see what it reflects for us. Pretty good chance, pretty good chance of us on a mature buck of course we're hunting 25 days and 12 hours of hunting life and that equals about 300 hours that's what this paper represents now let's say instead of hunting 300 hours or 25 days during the rut we cut this time down in half and we're only hunting 12 and a half days during the rut this equals to 150 hours of hunting time which means only three bucks will move through our hunting property while we are hunting. So now let's take a second sheet of notebook paper and sketch the same restriction, only instead of six horizontal lines, which signifies the movement of material bucks, let's only draw three lines randomly spaced across the paper. Because we're only there half the time and during this time only half as many bucks will Come through the woods while we're hunting. Now, let's compare this to the first notebook paper side by side, and we can see what hunting half the time does to our chances of success. It cuts our chances of shooting a mature buck in half. Keep in mind, we only have this chance if we hunt all day long. Okay, now let's further look at this. I am afraid many of us, even those who have the time, may only, may not even hunt 150 hours during the 25 days of rut movement. Many hunters will only hunt weekends, and this will cut our hunting time considerably. Let's say we only hunt Saturday and Sunday during the 25 days of rut movement. This will give us around 7 days or 84 hours of hunting time. Uh, Furthermore, let's consider that the average deer hunter will only hunt about three hours in the morning and two in the evening. Now this is usually the case, and I know you realize this. Mm -hmm. This equals to five hours of hunting time per day instead of twelve. And from what I understand, seven days times five hours in the stand adds up to about thirty-five hours of hunting time during the rut. This will cut our hunting time by around one-four from the 150 hours we had in the second sheet of paper. So let's take another sheet of notebook paper and turn it horizontally, and draw our funnel. However, this time we will not draw any lines with the ink pen that represents the tear book movement because we have cut it by one fourth of what we did with 150 hours. And by looking at this blank sheet of paper, we can see the average percent of chance we will have by only hunting mornings and evenings on the weekends. Even if we draw one randomly placed mark across the paper, representing a single mature buck movement, we can still see we will not have a much of an opportunity while hunting mornings and evenings during the weekends. And this will be the case even though we are hunting bucks in the rut when six mature bucks move through our hunting property and even though we have a great setup in a funnel so I hope everyone can see by looking comparing these three pieces of paper what the odds are of killing mature buck as we decrease our hunting time This one point is why the majority of hunters, I believe, will never have a chance to shoot a mature buck unless it is purely by luck. When you boil it all down, there are only two requirements for arrowing a trophy buck. One, there must be a buck you consider a trophy in the area you are hunting and two, you must be there also. The rest is just cosmetics. Now I realize people have family and jobs, and like I do, and other obligations that restrict their time, available time to hunt, however, it has also been my observation that a goodly number of people just do not have the tenacity to stick with it as, they, as much as they must do to give themselves a reasonable chance of success, considering the nomadic nature of our quarry. I realize some hunters schedule will not permit them to hunt 25 days or even 12 during the rut. On the other hand, I also know hunters who could devote more time to hunting during the rut if they did not spend so much time in the woods before and after this time. Over the years, Parker, I've been acquainted with bow hunters who claim to be serious about bow tying a trophy who will take a vacation at the beginning of archery season, just because it's been all year since they've got to hunt, Uh, and then they'll take another vacation from their job when firearm season opens. Just because they love to firearm hunt, it seems easier to them. But this, in most states, takes place after much of the rut or all the rut is over. This is just not the way to go about killing a trophy buck. By the same token, I know many knowledgeable and serious trophy hunters who who hunt the rut. They will schedule their vacation so they can travel to a trophy hot spot and try to kill a mature buck. These trophy hunters understand that the rut is the most important time of the year to be in the woods and they'll schedule their vacation accordingly. Even so, It has been my observation that there are two kinds of rut hunters. One is much more persistent in his hunting than is the other. Either one now will have a better chance than will the hunter who hunts very little or not at all during the rut. However, the one who is not persistent still does not even have a reasonable chance of success. I tell you, it all boils down to the amount of time a hunter spends in a stand. While both types of rut hunters will plan their season around the rut, one will say, and he may even believe, that he hunts hard. However, I've been in the deer camp and in the woods and and traveled with a lot of these hunters, and if they actually kept up with the hours they spend in a stand, he would realize his time is far short of the time needed to give himself a decent chance of success. Considering the nomadic nature and the rarity of of a mature buck. The hunter who is not persistent, usually this is what happens. He'll he'll be coming out of his stand two or three hours after daylight, and he'll spend the rest of the morning, I've seen it many times, he'll spend the rest of the morning walking around in the woods and and driving the roads looking for a better spot or trying to just spot one of the monsters up around the Midwest where he's traveled to. He'll spend his middays and even after dark at the local gathering place for other trophy hunters, and they'll be discussing sometimes until late at night the monster bucks they saw while walking in the woods or driving the back roads. This type of hunter will waste hours he could be hunting at the local checking station socializing with other hunters and looking at the huge bucks that are being brought in. Many such trophy hunters will be on social networks discussing what movement they saw during that day and giving their input to what stage of the rut is taking place. They'll be passing along with their own spin, of course, other trophy hunter posts on social media that they thought was good advice on killing mature bucks, And they'll be using it, the gift of Gab, to impress other hunters of their hunting prowess, and they will do this until late at night, even during the rut. It's a lot easier to sit in a chair at night, a comfortable chair behind a computer screen. And and I realize that it's, it's, it's interesting and fun to discuss deer hunting. But they'll do this in the rut until late at night and then they'll sleep in the next day or they'll be so tired they cannot possibly hunt all day. Now, on the other hand, the persistent rud hunter will tally up. Now this this is how I hunt and have always hunted. He will tally up many hours in the stand. He'll remain in the stand whether he's seeing deer or not because he realizes that it's the rud and bucks are on the move and sooner or later one will move by his stand and it would do him no good if he's not there. His mindset and my mindset is that every minute of time that passes while deer hunting is one minute closer to getting a shot at a buck of a lifetime. Now that's the mindset you have to have as a long day draws on. And you have to always so realize that the last five minutes of hunting time can produce the same has the same chance of producing a trophy buck as does the first five minutes of hunting time. They just do not have the correct mindset and a lot of people don't when they're in the woods. The persistent brother hunter will be spending his midday hours in solitude in a lonely deer stand and after dark he'll rush home or to his motel or camper to prepare for Tomorrow's all-day vigil before turning in. This percentage of the hunter is the one who would bring in the huge bucks for the hunters who are standing around at the checking station to look at. Diligence, Parker, defines success in our sport. And those who are willing to put it in, I welcome them to the solitary life of a trophy whitetail bow hunter because that is what it is. Okay, I want to mention one way to increase our time trophy hunt is to hunt all day long during the rut. Now, I realize from doing it for so many years, it's not always easy to set and stand from daylight into dark. Uh, I struggled with it for a while, and then I was successful uh, many times doing so, and I realized how important it was. So I think everyone will find it easier if they understand it's works the extra effort. It's like most things in life, if you see enough benefit you'll find ways to defeat the negative issues that's associated with endeavor you're engaging in. While hunting early in the season to shoot does or for whatever reason, I believe most bull hunters become conditioned to believe that deer stop moving and bed down around mid-morning. Now this, this is the case Uh, early in the season and with a lot of those and especially early in the season when the temperatures rise to the 70s and 80s but I will assure you this is not the case during the rut especially if the temperatures are seasonal or below. During the rut mature bucks will move as much or more during midday hours as they do early and late in the day. Uh, As a matter of fact, when I'm hunting during the rut, if I see a lone deer approaching my stand, say it's from a distance or I can't see his head, if I see a lone deer during the hours between, say, uh, noon and two o'clock, I immediately assume it is a mature buck. Mature buck's do not bed down or slow down their movement at all during midday hours. As a matter of fact, I believe they move more because they've learned a lot of the hunters have already left the woods during that time. I have killed many of my mature bucks during the middle of the day. In, In fact, Parker, I recently done an evaluation of the time of year that I've killed my older age class bucks and this is five and a half years old and older, and I found that two were killed early in the morning, and two were shot in, in mid-morning, and two I killed during the middle of the day, that's from say 11.30 to 12.30, two were shot mid-evening, and two were killed in the late evening. So out of these 10 bucks, to be honest with you, only four of them would have been encountered by most hunters because they only hunt early and late in the day. And see, you say, well, that's four bucks I would have killed uh, early and late in the day. Well, not necessarily. You would have encountered them. It takes a lot of experience when encountering encountering one of these really mature bucks. It takes a lot of experience to get an arrow in them. But anyway, they would have been encountered at that time. So the only way not to miss an opportunity, I can say this 100% fact, the only way not to miss an opportunity at a shot of a lifetime, at a buck of a lifetime, is to be in your stand from daylight until dark during the rut if temperatures support daylight buck movement. Now, whether or not I stay in a stand all day during the rut depends primarily on the temperatures. Now, if my schedule allows and the temperatures stay in the 50s or below for a daytime high, then I will stay in my stand all day without exception. This is the time of year, the rut is the time of year I've looked forward to for 11 months and material bucks are going to be moving off and on all day, and I'm not going to let this time frame pass without hunting every minute I possibly can. But there is exceptions to this. I said if the temperatures stay in the 50s or below. If the temperatures do rise to, say, the upper 70s or higher, then I will sometimes take a break from about 12 until 2, you see when it gets warm, mature buck movement pretty much stops. They will bed down and if I hunt all day when the temperature is, is, is this warm, I might unnecessarily burn myself out or a good standout. Plus if I'm home and I've got other things around the house I can do that will allow me when the temperature does turn right, that would allow me to hunt all day, then I'll try to do a few things. But now I'm not talking about I'm not talking about hunting a couple of hours in the morning, a couple of hours in the evening. I probably will not come out at least 12 o'clock, so that's one, one point I wanted to make. And I'll tell you, the temperature is one thing we cannot control, and it does have a large bearing on our chances of success on any given day. If we're, we're, we're always at the mercy of the weather. And if we have an unseasonably warm rut, which sometimes takes place, uh, maybe ever been my observation, every five or six years, then it will limit, it will limit the amount of time the tear bucks will be on their feet during any given day. Warm daylight temperatures throughout the rut on a given day will certainly limit our chances of success during that year. It's just uh, it's it's mathematics. Material bucks during the warmer parts of the day, if they're not on their feet all day, and they're not moving as many hours during daylight, but just by the by by the sheer figures of it, the numbers, the the odds of it, then our chances will be lessened on that given year. And uh, and the sad thing is. Uh, that's one thing one thing that we cannot control or do anything about. But let me go back and say, if my schedule would not allow me to hunt all day during the rut, I want to I wanna point this out. I will still go hunting every minute I can. Let's say I've got a, an appointment or something out of my control that takes place, let's say in the morning and let's say uh, later on that evening maybe. Well, if I can only get in the woods from 10 until 2, on a particular day, I will go hunt. It is worth the extra effort. If I can only hunt for an hour and a half during the rut, I will make the effort to go do so. Now I'd like to to make mention of something else that I see that cost hunters precious hours in the deer stand besides not hunting all day. And this is a hunter's attitude toward a given situation. It's not the situation itself. Many hunters out for an all day hunt, they will look for any reason or excuse to leave, or at least that's how it seems to me from talking to them and and spending some time with some of them during the rut. And so what if another hunter walks by your stand or a pack of dogs or a coyote moves through the area? where you're hunting now yes they could spook a deer away that is moving towards you but consider this they are just as likely to jump a baited buck out of his sanctuary or change one's course and move him towards you it's just as likely to happen Many times a hunter will leave a stand because of a change in wind direction. Now ever during the rut I've had bucks approach me from upwind or downwind or crosswind or uh, no wind at all. During the rut I will usually hunt any wind direction even though it's where I expect most of the deer are coming from. A mature buck during the rut could come right the opposite direction than you're thinking or expecting because of the way their nomadic nature during the rut, I will hunt any wind direction and I'll stick with it because to me, time in the woods is more more important than a perfect wind. I will hunt any wind direction, but what we call a swirling or a changing wind, then I I will come out if that is the case because I'm usually after a particular buck anyway, and I certainly don't want him to smell me and don't want to educate him. During during the rut, it's it's not critical that every condition be perfect. A few times I've been sick or not slept good and got up a little later than I expected. It was daylight time I got up. I still went to the woods and hunted all day. Uh, every situation don't have to be perfect. A lot of times, actually, on many of the hunts that I consider just a screwed up hunt because of certain things happening, I ended up been one of my most successful ones. what's, what's What's vital in our quest to kill mature bucks is the amount of time spent in the woods hunting. Not that every situation will be perfect. Why do you think mature bucks are pretty much non-existent in a heavily hunted area? Even if there are no advanced or knowledgeable hunters hunting that ground, It's because time in the woods equals dead deer. It's simply the law of average. So what I'm saying is do not look for or make excuses to leave your stand. Exercise some mental toughness. During the rut, if my schedule allows me to hunt all day, and that is my plan, nothing short of a swirling wind, an emergency, or unsafe hunting conditions will get me out of my stand. I have literally, Parker, eaten my weight in cheese and crackers while waiting on one of them old bucks. (laughs) Now, there's things that can help a hunter stand a stand longer. Uh, Listen, you don't want to be cold. You don't want to be hot. You, You need to address where you can adjust for that. You don't need to be hungry, you need to take stuff that that will fill that urge, Uh, and also I'll tell you one of the best things that helps me, if I can't or don't plan to stay all day because of my schedule or whatever reason, and a lot of people have, like I said, families and obligations, listen I always have a preset time to leave before I enter my stand. Now, if I don't set a time to leave beforehand, it's easy to talk myself into slipping out earlier than I should, especially if I'm not seeing much or any deer movement. Before entering entering your stand, a person should set a time to leave based on the temperature, the phase of the rut, and his schedule, and he should stick steadfast to that time whether he is seeing deer or not. I tell you, if you're hunting in the evening, never quit until the last legal minute of shooting time is upon you. Failure to follow this rule has cost many hunters and myself including much regret. So before you listen, never lie to yourself. If you say, Listen, I've got to be somewhere at twelve so I can hunt the ten thirty. If you hadn't seen a deer up to 10.30, you stay till 10.30. If your schedule allows you and the temperature uh, dictates hunting all day long, then do not leave your stand no matter what and just set a time before you go saying when you can leave and stick with it. Whether you're seeing deer or not, I never will forget one year I was hunting in Illinois I was hunting a patch of wood that was surrounded by corn but they would picked the corn so it was a picked cornfield and it was in the doe's bedding area and I figured my tear would cruise through it looking for a hot doe so I set up in it and by 1148 I wrote it down I had not seen one single deer 1148 and I began to think Maybe a deer, since it's corn's picked now, is not going to come through this vast open fields and come to this patch of woods, this thicket here, to, to check on hot does, even though it's the rut. But I stuck with it. I had a sandwich, and I stuck, if I didn't have a sandwich, I would have stuck with it. But I stuck with it, and at 11.48, I had some rattling horns tied the string and I lowered them on the ground and at 11:48, I heard them horns rattle and I looked down and there was a bucket. probably looked like he's two foot across his back to run over them horns and he went out there and he was about 150 155 inch 10 point and I didn't I didn't want him but I looked up and he he bristled up and I looked up and entered that thicket on the other side was a big Big mainframe eight with a big drop time, and he was a good deer too. Close to one. I was trying to decide whether I wanted to shoot him or not, and and they got to challenge each other and left the thicket, and, and it turned out a good thing. I shot a 180 something inch buck a couple of days later on public ground. But what I'm saying is, and let me say this: after that quick encounter of five minutes, I never seen another deer until dark. Deer hunting's not like most sports where there's a gen, slowly general villa up to a climax. You may sit all day long until 12 o'clock and nothing happens and, and all of a sudden the buck of a lifetime is moving in front of you. I'll tell you something. I was in a Ohio here a few years ago took a buddy of mine that never had not had a chance to hunt out of state or kill any big deer and It was the rut and I told him we was going to hunt all day long And he said well, I always leave the woods about 10 I quit seeing deer and I said well sure early in the year you will it gets warmed in September and early October and And doe was pretty well bed down Even during the rut, you know during that time, but I said it's not the case hunting mature bucks And we was sitting there And it was around noon, and I told him, I said, you eat your sandwich first, and I'll keep a good eye. Then I'll eat, and you can keep a good eye. And he just did not see the use in going to such extremes. In the middle of the day, we hadn't seen but maybe one or two deer real early in the day, and he just, I I said, listen, this is how it's going to happen, and and will happen, may happen. I said, we're going to be hunting a week here. I said, we'll be sitting here in the middle of the day, bored to death, and hadn't seen a deer in two hours, and we'll look up, and I'll say, there he comes. There comes one, get ready. And about that time, I looked to my left, and there come a big old mature buck that we'd already seen a few days before, and we knew he would want to shoot it. And I said, a matter of fact, there he comes, go ahead and get ready. And he just kept sitting there. <laughs> and he realized he thought I was either pulling his leg or thought I was repeating what I said. And I said, uh, no, guy, I'm, I'm serious. There's a, a big buck coming toward us right now. You need to get and get your bow. And that's how it happens. Sometimes you'll sit there bored to death, and there's no climax. There's no slow build-up. So that's what I'm saying. And I will, I will bet on a mediocre Hunter Parker who puts – in a lot of time day after t- day in the deer stand over a very advanced hunter who only hunts a few hours on the weekends. That's just the way it is. I feel that this one point keeps more knowledgeable deer hunters from becoming outstanding trophy killers. They, they either do not have the time or they don't have the tenacity to stick with it. You must practice some Serious patience if you're going to be a successful trophy whitetail hunter. While hunting mature bucks, nothing means as much as the amount of time spent in the woods hunting. Nothing. Parker, you, you and my readers, you can believe that. Now I want to speak on one other thing here and it's the luck factor and it ties right into this. This is another point we should consider when we're looking at the benefits of spending a lot of times in a tree stand, and that is luck. The more I hunt, the luckier I get. Let me say this: the events of chance which take place in the deer woods that will equal success for you will not help you one bit if you are not in the woods hunting. Let me say that again the events of chance which take place in the deer woods that will equal success for you will not help you one bit if you're not in the woods hunting now everything as you know and most of my listeners know if they've hunted mature bucks a lot everything must take place just right for you to get an arrow in the chest of an old buck a mature buck may unexpectedly take a detour that leads him out of bow range, or the wind may change momentarily, and this has happened a lot with me, and shift in his favor at just the wrong time when he's getting close to me being able to get a shot. Uh, one may move by too fast for you to get him to stop for a shot. Everything's got to happen just right. A doe may lead him away just before he gets within bow range. These are factors that are really out of our control that can happen and cause us to miss a shot at a a once-in-a-lifetime buck. Bad luck, we call it, and I am certain, as most of our listeners and you are aware, Parker, this does take place. Well, how can we turn the table around and cause good luck or lady luck, as she's sometimes called, to shine on us? and put the odds in our favor in circumstances out of our control. I don't believe in fate, Parker, but I do believe in luck. There is only one way I know to have more good luck, only one way, and that's to spend more time in the deer woods hunting. Good luck will come your way if you are patient enough and wait on it. A mature buck may be traveling just out of bow range, and a coyote may change his course and move him by your deer stand. The wind may change in your favor just as a monster buck approaches. Uh, he may stalk with his head behind a tree just at the right time for you to draw and shoot, even though he was passing through fast. A hot doe may lead a once-in-a-lifetime buck by your stand. I realize sometimes it seems like all the breaks go for the for the deer and not for us. But this is not always the case. If you hunt long enough, then some of the breaks will come your way. For those of us who work really hard and hunt long hours, luck is an art in and of itself. I spend a lot of time in the woods and I have experienced bad luck, and I also have hunted long enough to experience good luck. It seems to equal out the longer I hunt. The old saying, the more I hunt, the luckier I get, has a great deal of truth to it. A buck must be lucky every day of his life. On the other hand, we need to be lucky only once, and he will roll up his little ball of yarn. It's curtains for him. Even though there are favorable conditions that take place in our favor in the deer woods, they will not help us one bit if we're at home sitting on the couch. Now, I, I must admit, it is extremely hard to sit on a stand all day, day after day. However, if you're determined enough, you'll learn to deal with it. This is what separates the men from the boys and the trophy hunters from the trophy killers. When we're talking about true top-end bucks, the opportunity to shoot one of these rare animals is nearly always an unexpected occurrence. If the opportunity comes, it will more than likely be a re- a sheer uh, the result of the sheer amount of time a hunter spends on a stand. That's usually the the way these once in a lifetime bucks are killed. I wanna I, I read a quote. I wanna I think a quote by Calvin Coolidge puts it very well. <clears throat> I'd like to quote that to you. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than it unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are often The slogan, press on, has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. I think this quote puts what I am trying to say here very well and you might have wanted, you might have enjoyed it more if I had just read this quote and shut up but I had a few more things to say. (laughs) Just don't don't overlook the value value of the importance of time spent in the woods when you're trophy deer hunting. Nothing means as much. Nothing. Now before I close, I want to use Say a word of caution here concerning hunting, over hunting a piece of property. Because as I said to begin with, there's exceptions to everything, and we must realize when we do experience an exception. There's just exceptions to every rule, and when it comes to whitetail, it seems like there's plenty of them. Uh, and this exception also applies to the amount of time you spend at one location. An exception to what I'm talking about, Parker, would apply if you only have one small parcel of ground available to hunt. In this case, it would indeed be possible to hunt too often. You will know when you are overpressuring, overpressuring an area because you will see fewer deer on each outing. This will indicate to you that the local deer herd has become aware that you, you're out to get them, and they have either relocated or holding tight during the daylight. Now, to avoid burning out your stand in this situation, it is advisable to give a property a few days rest between hunts. Now, I don't know many people that just hunts one small parcel of land, If I had one small parcel of land to hunt that was really hot, and I thought a buck I wanted to kill was on it, then I would hunt it, like I said, and give it a few days rest. But during those few days rest I was giving it, there's plenty of public ground probably where everybody I'm talking to here can drive to. Well, I would certainly drive to a public piece of ground and hunt during the days I was given my small par- property a uh, rest because nothing means as much as time in the woods. So there's ways to get around this, but if you do have a small parcel of land, along with giving your stand an occasional break, I also recommend that you hunt low impact stand locations around the perimeter of the property. Now, normally I hunt high impact stands in the heart and the heart of the action by using extreme stealth. That said if I'm hunting a small tract of land I back off this aggressive approach on a small piece of hunting ground if there's a piece I'm hunting that's quite small and there's a buck on it I want to kill uh, I'll say 80 to 90 percent of the interior of the property I will make off limits I will only hunt the outside edge of the property. I'll approach it from different directions and have a good stand locations, but I would never walk through a very small partial of land. I would give eighty to ninety percent of that land completely, I'd say it's completely off limits. And by practicing this prudent stand management approach, we can create a refuge and are just hunting the perimeter of the refuge. Now, this will give the local deer a feeling of, a false feeling of security. And, uh, of course, there must be habitat diversity on this property, uh, or this strategy will not improve our odds. If the ground consists of only open, see-through, like see-through hardwoods, I call it see-through woods, only open, see-through woods with no thicket or no undergrowth, The deer won't feel secure enough to stay, no matter how undisturbed they are. That's just the truth about it. And you know, a person needs to look elsewhere and consider his options on some on some public ground. I've killed most of my big deer on public ground. Well, and let me say. Having, having mentioned now at closing this I want to say that I've covered pretty in depth now I think the three major reasons most hunters uh, don't succeed in their quest for a trophy. Now I want to take a, 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 just a second here and talk about another element which I think has a large, large bearing on our hunting success. But keep in mind that nothing will amount to a hill of beans unless you are efficient in the three major elements I have discussed. But whether we are hunting, fishing, trapping, or engaging in any other pursuit of living creatures, the number the numbers, the sheer numbers of the game we are after makes all the difference to a successful outcome. Quantity matters and it matters a lot. It is simply an issue of Availability. The more game there is in the vicinity of where we are pursuing them, the greater our chances is. It all comes down to mathematics. If you want to shoot a true top-end buck, you must hunt in a location where they exist in good numbers. This should go without saying, but just in case it don't, I wanted to mention this before I close. Some people are just hunting a state and parts of a state where they're they're just spending years there hunting and when they, if it was to pull up stakes and travel to the Midwest, even public ground, where the numbers of the deer that, the the numbers of the deer that's a quality they want exist in good numbers then I think they would be amazed at their success. I really believe that there's a lot of outstanding trophy hunters out there that's never killed what most hunters would consider a trophy because of where they hunt. But that's just something I just wanted to mention. So there you have it from a lifetime of hard hunting. I have come to understand that there are three things that will enhance your chances that a mature buck will walk by your stand during legal shooting hours. These three things now, when they're taken together, will increase your odds of success like nothing else can. I could talk for many hours on any one of the avenues of bow hunting trophy whitetails, and they all have their place. you You can get on the internet and get on these chat sites uh, I've been told and read all about uh, all kinds of tactics and games people plays and and uh' I'm going to talk about the how tailed deer the philosophy of them and their biological makeup and that's all that's all fine and good. They all have their place, but they have their place once a person understands how to get a mature buck in front of his stand. See, that's where most hunters are failing. And all this other stuff is just cosmetic modifiers if you don't know how to do that. And you will be disappointed at the end of the season or maybe shoot a, a lot of these internet experts. they <coughs> not putting them that down, but they a lot of them will kill them. Two three hundred and forty-inch, three and three and a half-year-olds in their life, or they may kill uh, uh, one just outstanding monster buck uh, in their lifetime by, by luck. It'll help me if you hunt enough. But I'll just tell you, until you implement the three things that I've talked about, then. I believe that all other considerations on the subject of trophy whitetail hunt will be rendered useless unless it is purely by luck or the chance that an individual has a very special place to hunt that no one else can hunt, that it has a goodly number of material bugs. But I have never had that situation. I've always hunted mostly public ground. I'm telling you, there's no mystery or secret to it. It's all about knowing what is important. Now now that you have this knowledge and now that my listeners have this knowledge, they can decide for themselves do they have the time and are they willing to put in the time and effort to fully implement this knowledge, these tactics. It's not easy. It's not easy to hunt like I hunt. It's not easy to a lot of people maybe will see something take place. Let me give you one example when I say it's not easy. If it's during the rut, a lot of people will see something take place during the day a couple of times. A mature buck do something a couple of times in a row and decide they need to move and they'll 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 move during the midday hours or in the evening or the next morning. I would get up in the middle of the night and go move many times. I've waited to Seen, I need to move a stand, and I, I wait till rain comes where it would hide my scent, and I'll get up in the middle of the night once it starts raining and go move a stand, maybe two or three, and do it by myself. It's all about tenacity, and it's all about understanding that time spent in the woods hunting is more important than moving a stand. Uh, I can tell you many stories about things like that that's Turned out correct and turned out turned out useful for me. It's it's not easy. The older you get, the more you sit and stand all day long. Your back gets hurt and then you have aches and pains. And I I figured that out. But it's it's all about it's all about mental toughness and and whether you're willing to sacrifice what it takes or not. Many hunters are not. They're just not willing to. I mean they they talk they talk a, a good hunt, but when it comes right down to to implement it. They just fall far short of where they should be to be successful. And that's the reason I wanted to, again, use those three sheets of paper and and have everybody sketch it out. And if you do that and you lay them out and look at them, they say, say, uh, it it paints a picture, and they say one of them is worth a thousand words. So (laughs) I I thank I think that's what I've heard before. Yeah. I think official for everybody to consider the amount of time they're in the woods, and then I think they can go back and then consider all three points I have brought up. Uh, like I said, there's no mystery or secret to it to me anymore. I understand what's important, and all I need to decide is do I want to put in the the effort that it's required to implement these all these three points fully. And that's, that's about it, Mr. Parker, when it comes down
0: to it. Well, you know, I, I've i listened now, I've listened multiple times now to all three parts of of this, even after we have the initial conversation. And there's, there's a couple of things that come to my mind, if you don't mind me asking a few questions. And some of these are my questions, and some of them are questions that I, maybe I've had or... Um, other listeners have brought to my attention and, and I, I feel like you have a pretty good grasp on them. Um, but the, the first thing that I I think about, most of our listeners are hunting on public land and on public land, obviously the main issue is hunting pressure. When you're going out and you are, um, you're hunting an area, you're hunting it hard is there a factor that you're you're trying to get away from other hunters? We haven't really discussed that. Like, are you going as deep as you can, trying to get to unpressured areas when you're, which specifically when you're hunting on public land?
1: I, I am. I have found that two to three hundred yards will get most of the hunters. Uh, if you will. I always, when I hunted public land, I would back then. Of course, we didn't have cell phones and internet like we do now. I'm aging myself a little here, but <laughs> I would, I would call, I would call and get maps of the areas. Then I'd get topo maps of them, and then I would mark off a perimeter that I absolutely lo now. I shouldn't say absolutely that I, under normal circumstances, would not consider hunting. Material bucks, as bucks as they get older on pressured land, they will learn that the access roads, they will learn within 300, maybe even 400 yards of the access road, they occasionally count humans, and they will move more and more of the interior. But inside that interior, they will go on, if they're not being nocturnal because it's the rut and they're moving during daylight. They will carry on their activity in the interior of that property where they've learned that they encounter very few hunters just as as they would in a non-pressured area. Their activity is the same. Now, occasionally, I have found material bucks close to access roads. I have occasionally found pieces of property that is so so much undergrowth and so rough a terrain that most hunters will step off into it and before you know it they're coming back out of it. And those are the ones I look for too. Of course I'm scouting during the spring and large rubs and stripes, material buck sign will dictate where the bucks are during the rut. Just going in the spring and find the sign and one of the greatest bucks I've ever hunted and killed was very close to a road. I call it a honey hole by the highway, but it was in a thicket. It was just unbelievable. It was between two major roads is where he was bed. But he had found a place that he had not encountered human pressure and felt secure there. So a lot of hunters will try to figure uh, where the deer will go to escape, uh, say, when the hunting pressure starts or, or different avenues or tactics from, that differ from the three points I have mentioned. No, I don't do that. I I hunt. I know what the bucks will be doing during the rut. They're going to be, certain times, looking for the first hot doe. They're going to be locked down, and then they're going to be between does. And I hunt just as I would anywhere else. That's how I hunt public land. And it has served me well by hunting the tightest funnels in the woods. Uh... But let the buck sign dictate where you hunt. <clears throat> During October and November, a buck is going to be making signs, and, and the the, the signs, the rubs don't have to be necessarily big to be made. But the damage dictates that. The damage, the, how deep the scrape is, whether it's bowled out and pawed out pretty deep or not, dictates that. Uh, me and a friend of mine, Chris, entered last year at some public ground. And they just so happened that year that they had beans in the crop fields that the farmers could plant and harvest. I knew then that the, we frequented them fields at night, so we went around all the bean fields and found the ones that, out of several bean fields we walked, we would occasionally find one of an exceptionally large track, and he was coming to the fields at night and then we started backing up into the woods further and further until we found a tight funnel and and then we would walk and scan the area around the funnel to make sure there was large rubs and straights from the year before because if they were not then during the rut that deer was elsewhere that we'd found the sign on. So that's, that's a little bit of how I hunt but now I tell you when I traveled to the Midwest when I used to do a lot of traveling on public ground and hunting public ground and I've killed many a six and a half, seven and a half year old deer doing that one eighty killed three in the one eighties up there like that and several in the one seventies. I And it don't matter if they're one seventies or one eighty if they're material that, that they all they may do is a one sixty, you know. Uh, just according to how their head gears put together and the, the genes they have but i tell you, I was I was successful at it, but I would call... I did not like an area that was gun-hunted or, or had very much firearm hunting. I would always look for an archery only, and I would always look for a very large area because it's just simple mathematics. I, you can get 20 hunters on one piece of ground, and it's pretty heavily hunted, and 20 on a piece of ground that's four times larger, and it's not heavily hunted. So I would always... Look for a large piece of ground, and they'll try to find a bow hunting only area and that that increased my chances now sometimes I did hunt gun hunted areas for for certain reasons because they were extremely large but that's and I would always talk to the uh, rangers and the uh, area manager and I always wanted them to know particularly if there was any very large deer being seen or had been seen the year before or previous years because I mean, exceptional deer, because I wanted to get in there and hunt that deer. That's mm-hmm. just... some people, You don't have to... Don't get me wrong. You don't have to be a trophy hunter to enjoy deer hunting. And uh, you you don't have to kill a 180-inch deer to be be a good hunter, but that's just what I like. I like big bone, And and I, I just think it's a very fascinating thing to see a buck coming through the woods that's carrying a 180-inch rack. It's just what what thrills me. I'm not saying that that's the same with everybody, or it should be the same with everybody. But that's kind of how I went about hunting public ground. I scouted it. I looked for my funnels, and uh, I looked for funnels particularly with big sign, but they didn't have to have. And uh, and uh, I would try to find an archery only and a, a bigger-than-normal piece of ground is how I'd go about it. And uh, that was that was how I was successful.
0: Okay. I mean, that makes a whole lot of sense, you know. Um, one of the things that we've talked about several times on this podcast, uh, not this specific episode, but in, in other episodes with other guests is very similar to what you're talking about. You know, finding those spots, I have found the same thing. My general rule, you know, if I, especially if I'm walking into an area and not using a boat or something like that, if I'm walking into an area, I'm usually trying to go a mile, find those terrain features that are, you know, a mile or so out. And so that makes Makes a lot of sense, and I think um, I, I, what it seems like to me, and, and this is the question a lot of people had. It, it seems like you're target. Well, it doesn't seem like it. I know you're targeting specific bucks most of the time. When you're scout, you so you're scouting in the off season, and you're going in, and you're finding those funnels, and you're finding that big sign. Um, how are you going about locating a specific buck? after you've done all that scouting and you've you've got your obviously you've got your trail cameras hung and your but the but the sign and where that buck might be living in the off season oftentimes does not correlate um how are you going about like kind of backtracking from the rut sign to finding that target buck
1: well now trail cameras nowadays is a huge asset to my hunting. Like I said, the three major points I talked about mean everything. But there's trail cameras and mock strays and different things we do. That, of course, that within these three elements that really help us. I don't go. I'm. I'm. I don't go to an area and hunt it one year. Uh, some of these places, like. Uh, in Iowa and different places where you can only get a tag every three or four years. I just, I don't do that. Because there's no way to find a specific bug. It would be, I would have to, it, it's possible. I could drive up there and find a, a big rack buck out say, out in the crop field uh, during the late evening, say, in August, and then drive back up there and hunt him. But normally, that's not what I do. Normally, uh, I hunt a place three or four years, and I want to hunt a place that I can hunt three or four years, and say I'll put out quite a few cameras in tight funnels and on mock stripes, and, and uh, during the summer, we're illegal on on mineral licks, and then I will find a particular buck, and if he's not quite the age I want, but I see he's wide and got long tines and, and has potential, then that's... Then I'll target that buck three or four years down the road or I may, on a mineral lick or in a tight funnel, I I may get pictures of a specific large buck and then I will target that buck and then if I lose him, I'm not getting the pictures of him I want. I know I'm probably not in his core area and may be in his home range or I may be in his secondary home range or I may have even got his picture on a mineral lick I've done this before in between home ranges if I get a picture on mineral lick once a month I'm in not in that bucks home range I'm not in his core area and probably not even his home range I'm probably on a travel route between two home ranges because once they get hooked on a good mineral lick they're going to come to it every two or three nights if not daily so you got to use a lot of common sense. And you may have to spread your cameras out in a, over a large area, to. and then when you start getting pictures of him in a particular type of fun or on a mineral lick or at a feeding source regularly, then you know you have narrowed it down to his primary home range or his core area. But a while ago you said when you find a big sign, you may not be set up on him yeah, yeah, if you find a big sign, that's where he's at during the rut. Now, you put your cameras out and verify that it's it's that buck, but just because you're not seeing him does not mean he's not there. I know so many people that see big rubs and stripes and show them to me, and they're just not seeing the buck, and they say, well, he's coming through at night. The same buck that's coming through at night, and you get a picture of him a couple of times at night, that is where you hunt even in the daytime. Once seeing a buck do something once or getting his picture done once, it's the same thing. But once is an occurrence. I mean it's just an event. Now twice, twice is is a habit. When when they do something twice, if he when he does it the third time, if he's a buck I want I will be there. Period. Yeah. I've used that many times. Uh, but a lot of people are getting big sign and maybe getting a picture of a buck at night or in the daytime, and they think uh, they've got one picture. Well, that's okay. You keep monitoring that area, and you spread your cameras out a little bit in other funnels in the area. If it don't happen again, then you spread them out very widely and try to find that here. If it does happen again, and there's multiple big signs making and different rubs and straights have characteristics of different bucks, but that's just another rabbit hole, but a lot of people say, well, I've got his picture or I've seen him once and uh, I just can't kill him. If you really narrowed it down and asked that individual to how much time he was hunting, you might find out a day or two a week and maybe early morning, late evening. Most of the time when there's a big buck in the area, I will kill him and the reason I will kill him is the sheer of the amount just surely the amount of time I put in the woods I will I will put enough time in to odds change from his favor to my favor.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes a whole lot of sense to me and um you know, I think I think a lot of it what it comes down to what you what you're saying is is finding that core area, like trying to narrow it down into that core area. And uh, so, the the last question that I have, and multiple people actually asked this question, um, and it and it seems like I'm sure you've been asked this before, but I'm just kind of interested to know, and and a lot of listeners are interested in the, to know this too. Are there certain things that dictate your time? Obviously, we talked about weather, um, but even going further than that, do you pay much attention to um, moon phases or barometric pressure uh, does that have any correlation with the the bigger bucks that you've killed in your lifetime
1: it does not now i know a lot of people uh, a lot of people uh, advertise a uh, correlation and uh, not saying that they hadn't seen some in the moon phase i'll tell you daylight temperatures has always dictated for me when I would take to my best stands and and hunt the hardest I remember in 99 it was a unseasonably warm rut from November 1st until the 28th the daytime temperatures was in the 80s and the nighttime was in the 60s it was just awful and I just pretty well stayed out of the woods then on the 28th the weatherman said we're going to finally get a cold front and tomorrow the temperature will be for a high 50 degrees. Well, I called work and told them I was taking off, and I sat all day. And at 12.05, the seventh buck come through my ditch funnel with a big material 10-point, and I killed him. Anytime it's been unseasonably warm during the rut, and then the temperature turns cold, then nothing means as much. To deer movements to enhance deer movement as that. I tell you, one year, a few years. I believe I know photoperiodism, and I've talked a little bit about it, it. Governs the breeding cycle. That's how they key off of it for optimal fawn survival. And uh, whatever species we're talking about, photoperiodism means everything. It's it's how they're Biological clock is set to breathe, uh, the amount of daylight in a 24-hour day. But you know what? I have seen cases all my life of temperature having a, an effect also. Not an equal effect, but an effect. I remember oh, probably 10 or 15 years ago, we had a December, a uh, week in December, where it was in the 80s. And really warm at night, too. It was just so warm that people got concerned that it was something uh, dramatic taking place. And I sat in a tree stand one morning, and I bet I heard a turkey gobbler gobble a hundred times. And then the next day, I couldn't see him but there was two gobblers gobbling on each side of a hen that was in a tree. And she flew down, and she cackled and went through... The same exact vocalization, and the callers did too. I don't know if they were mating or not, but they went through the same vocalization as, as mating birds, and I honestly believe they were. And that was in December after a week of extremely warm weather. Uh, temperature overrides, it, it trumps moon phase 100% to me, Day daylight temperatures. uh during the rut is what looked look to and what is the most. i tell you, one November up in Illinois, I normally arrived up there back then about the 22nd or 23rd and get everything kind of in place and be ready to go by the 25th, of course usually I knew exactly where I was going to be hunting because I hunted year after year. And I got up there on the 22nd one year and they had everybody was seeing my tear bucks, they was running and they had been several killed, and it was because of the temperature. We had four or five days; the highs was in the 40s. So that temperature will shift the rut movement of material bucks either way, some, either later or earlier. And it is extremely important to watch the daylight temperatures. And I think that overrides overrides everything. Not photoperiodism, but I'll tell you, it is. Sometimes I think it's about equal to it. And I have not noticed any correlation in deer movement over moon phase, barometric pressure, or anything else. Now, I will say this. Uh, I like it. I think they move better weather. Again, weather, not moon phase. But when it's a clear cold front, a high pressure, just simply because it is just Colder generally in a high pressure and, and good clear bluebird sky, good clear cold. People, some people like to hunt in the rain and the fog, and they. I, I tell you, a good cold high front is what I look for. The high temperature, and the high front and a good cold temperature is what I most often look for when it when if I if I've not got much time to hunt and I do have a week, and I will pick temperatures, even over even over the phase of the rut. I'll tell you, uh, the area I talk about from southern Tennessee up to Canadian border, it's good to know what takes place during what times. I might mention a few things about that. From If it's unseasonably cold or seasonally cold, from about October 25th to about November 2nd or 3rd, Matera Bucks will be in their home range and in their core area keeping a check on the area family group of the does and they will be making scrapes and rub lines down their travel corridors in these areas advertising their their appearance to does. Now they will start that before then, but what I'm saying is after, November, after October 25th, if it's good and cool, then they will what was nighttime appearances on your camera will turn the daytime appearances. But now, once you get into about November 2nd or 3rd, the first does will start smelling and they'll be a few hours away from coming in and a few of them may actually come in. Of course, there's, like I said, exceptions to every rule. But if you miss being in your stand, November 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, right in there, If you miss that, or if it is unseasonably warm during that period, then the best chance of the year will escape you. You should be in your stand daylight to dark between November 2nd or 3rd until about the 6th or 7th, because that one short period of time, there will be more mature buck movement during daylight hours than all the other parts of that rut combined. So... I hunt the corridors, big stripes and rubs uh, October 25th about November 1st if it's unseasonably cold and then I will move to my funnels. I will set up on them and I will be setting there daylight to dark if the temperature dictates it because that is when the first door or two starts smelling and the big bucks noise and they're running just as far and cruising, what you want to say cruising or I call they're running. They get going hard and fast looking for that first doe before the next buck finds them. And after that, you get into a period when they're locked down with several hot does. But there is always, during that time, after about 48 hours of being with one, he will get on his feet and get to looking for the next one. And that's why I continue to hunt funnels until the end of that rut movement period. I guess I went down a rabbit hole there. That's okay.
0: Uh, Okay. That is fine. I, and I think it's important, too, as I'm sitting here listening to it, I'm I'm making it work for where I hunt. I think it's important to know when that period starts and ends in your area. You know, Alabama is is different than a lot of states. If you're hunting in Alabama and you're listening to this, you're like, November, October, November ain't anywhere close to the rut in a lot of our states. So it's important to know that time wherever you're hunting I realize most people in most states are gonna relate to exactly what you're saying uh, mr. Bobby but you know for us for us Alabama some Mississippi um, Florida there's just gonna be a, a, a slight difference in, in that time frame so it's important to know that but but man
1: maybe a big difference yeah. as I said when I started that little period, Talking about the rut moving period, that's like I talked about earlier. It's throughout the Midwest from southern, from where I hunt, from southern Tennessee line up to Canada. Now, that's the time frame of the 25 period, day periods. Mm-hmm. period. But anywhere you hunt, you must find and know, and it is extremely important to know when that period takes place at your location. And some states actually, the rut were very uh, according to what part of the state it is, because deer was stocked in from so many places, uh, different places. And there are so many subspecies of whitetail, you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, here we've got the Virginia, the, and then on up in the Midwest the Northern woodland, mostly in the Dakotas, you know. So it is extremely important to know in your location when that period of time is or you can spend a lot of time hunting in a, at a time frame that is not beneficial and you can miss you may miss that one like I said most important week when the first doe will start start to come in and if you miss that then uh, you have just uh lowered your chances extremely uh, mm-hmm. it's just hard hard for me to say how much you have, Lord, I mean, if you miss that important week when they first start cruising, when the big bucks uh, start cruising looking for that first hot doe, when they first start, one or two first start smelling and getting ready to pop in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, man, I do appreciate it again, Bobby, that I've, uh, I've heard, like I said, I've heard nothing but good feedback. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure there's people that are going to have tons more questions, but we're gonna to have to get you on again sometime soon. I know we've talked a lot the last three weeks, uh, so I feel like I've kind of got to know you pretty good, and I know our listeners feel the exact same way. Um, but man, we have really, really, truly enjoyed having you on the show.
1: Well, I appreciate you, you all having me and, and 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 making me feel like uh, like I'm important to some people, and and uh, giving me an outlet. Everybody that reaches a certain level of knowledge and expertise. Uh, na- it's natural for them to look for an outlet to share their knowledge and that's uh, that's what you've given me here and I really appreciate that and I appreciate the good comments from your listeners and I appreciate uh, them listening to me and giving me that opportunity to, to be heard. So uh, I thank you and yeah just let me know and we might cover another subject or two sometime. There's a lot of avenues that we can talk about, but I wanted to—I didn't want to go down any of them much. I wanted to really impress these three important avenues of trophy hunting because unless they're adhered to and taken together, uh, I, I think a person really lowers his chances of success. But all three do, like I said, do the same thing. They increase the odds that a mature buck will walk by your stand, and which that is what most hunters are like, and they just don't have the shot opportunity. And so uh, maybe this will help them to realize why that is the case.
0: Absolutely. I think they will. Well, Bobby, I do appreciate it again, man, and uh, and have a good one.
1: Thank you. Good evening.
0: All right, everybody. We have reached a uh, a very sad moment when we are officially done with the Bobby Worthington podcast. And uh, man, I don't know about you guys, but I do know about you guys. I know y'all are uh, y'all y'all love this. Um, I loved it. It's been so much fun getting to talk to Mister Worthington and hear his thoughts. Three keys to success, which are hunting them during the rut, finding the right tree. And persistence, I feel like. Um all three of those things when I think about my season and you know, obviously um I'm the guy that's gonna be out any chance that I can get. And I know a lot of you guys are the same way. I've had a lot of people um more recently uh message me and be like, well what about you know, I I, I hunt a lot in October, I hunt a lot in September and things like that. I'm I'm that way too. Um, but what I'm trying to do with this information that mr worthington has shared is make it work for my style of hunting you know I, i've always um known that the road is a good time i don't think if you're a deer hunter if you've been a deer hunter for any amount of time you have that in your head you know the rut's the best time to be in the tree but being able to save some of the areas that i feel like i have the best opportunity at a mature deer um being able to kind of use this knowledge for those Purposes has been really cool and uh, I've spent countless hours at this point trying to find these funnels that he's talked about and um, really scouting uh, on all of my map soft software and stuff like that on my phone and um, It's been it's, it's been eye-opening for me. I hope it's been eye-opening for you as well, but we are at a very important moment in the podcast where we are going to announce the winner of the Tethered Phantom Saddle. So, I have got a random number, and I'm going to find that random number, so give me just a second. Uh, I've got a, I'm going to stop recording on this, and then I'm going to find the random number and find that person, so give me just a minute, and alright, we are back, and uh, so we've got uh, a little over... 1300 subscribers since we started this. Now, we have the Southern Ground Hunting YouTube channel is very new and uh I've been doing YouTube for a while, several years now, and uh it was all on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. And now we've moved everything over and are building our own channel, which is the Southern Ground Hunting channel. And uh it's been a whole lot of fun. It's been cool to watch it grow and and all of my older content it's really been neat to just re-watch all of my older content um from the last several years and uh but um i do appreciate every single one of you who have subscribed to the channel i hope that you'll say stay subscribed even though if you if you didn't win the, the phantom saddle i hope to stay subscribed because i do have a lot of uh a lot of things that a lot of old content that i haven't put up yet that i haven't been able to put up and the season's coming up soon and, uh, and we're gonna have a lot of, of good hunts on there, I believe. So, I've chosen a number, and that number between one and 1,362, I believe is what it was. And uh, I have chosen a, uh, a number, so that number is 348. So 348, and I've actually already counted Um, Just in the order that it showed up and the number three hundred (laughs) and forty eight conveniently This is really funny. It conveniently came up to DIY Sportsman Which is Garrett Prawl who doesn't need a tethered phantom. So Garrett if you listen to this man uh, I I, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna give your saddle away to the person who is right above you and uh, I, I don't think you're in need of a tethered phantom at this point, but the guy right above you's name is Matt Barry. Uh, Matt, I don't know where you live, I don't know where you're from, I don't know your phone number, we may or may not be friends on Facebook, but I'm going to find you and you are going to get a tethered phantom saddle. So if you are Matt Barry and you're listening to this, um, send me a message on Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash southern ground hunting or you can just send a message to Parker McDonald's Facebook page. Uh, whatever you want to do, and uh, we'll get your address, and Tethered will get your Phantom sent to your door, so that is Matt, Barry, I do everything I can to uh, to get this to you, um, again, Garrett, DIY sportsman, uh, I apologize, but you're not going to be the winner of the Tethered Phantom saddle, uh, but that is pretty funny, so um, with that said, guys, we are done with the Local Legend series, hope you guys enjoyed it, go back and listen to it, we got um, Nathan Killen, uh, Ryan Carter from Florida Everglades, which was a cool episode. Uh, we've got uh, Josh Bell in Arkansas, and then, of course, Mr. Uh, Bobby Worthington, and um, it's been a great Local legend series, y'all. I'm, I'm very excited about it. Go check. If you, if you just started listening through the Bobby Worthing episode, Worthington episodes, go back and listen to those, um, and yeah, we'll be right back here. Next week, uh, we got a really fun guest. I think you guys are going to like it. It is Mr. Troy Fowler from uh, the YouTube channel Ranch Fairy. That may, if you didn't know, his real name is Troy Fowler, and he uh, he joined us. We actually already recorded the episode, and uh, it's a fun one. It's a really fun one. So we'll see you guys next week. Also, let me tell you this. We are starting next week on Monday. So our podcast will drop every Monday morning from this point forward. So we've been... Doing Friday mornings. Now we're moving to Monday mornings. So uh, just remember that you're going to get a little notification if you're subscribed to the Sportsman's Nation Whitetail feed or just the Southern Ground that uh, you got a new podcast coming Monday with the Ranch Ferry. So, you guys, I uh, hope you look forward to that. That is going to be it. Remember, we have uh, a teaching train coming up, tethered teaching train. If you're interested in getting into saddle hunting, um, it's coming up August 15th. So, uh, figure out a way social media you'll find it look up on tethered nation whatever whatever you got to do uh it's gonna be a good time love to meet you guys so that being said remember that god gave you dominion over the birds of the air the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth so go out and exercise that dominion we'll talk to you next time (laughs)